Welcome to the Currently Cringing Podcast. I'm your host, Anisha Ramakrishna. I'm a TV personality and entrepreneur. Join me as I spill the chai on my cringeworthy life experiences with a side of dating, pop culture, and lots of laughs. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Currently Cringing Podcast. I'm your host, Anisha Ramakrishna. I'm a TV personality and entrepreneur. Join me as I spill the chai on my cringeworthy life experiences with a side of dating, pop culture, and lots of laughs. Hey guys, welcome to Currently Cringing. Today my guest is Chitra Agarwal from Brooklyn Deli. You may have heard about Brooklyn Deli the same way I did. You know, they just had their product knocked off by Trader Joe's and Chitra, you know, she won. She won the case. Their product is no longer being knocked off by Trader Joe's. And funny story, Chitra. Welcome, by the way. Thank you I'm for having me. You're welcome. I'm a big chatty Kathy, so forgive me. I, I want to get into you. But crazy story. I've been following you for the past maybe 10 years. You know, there was a time in the early 2000s, everyone was trying to be a food blogger. Right. I, was I remember. People. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I am passionate about food. And so I was obsessed with your cooking and your work. And I remember living in Manhattan and just wanting to eat your food. Like I wanted to come to Brooklyn and eat your food. And back then, you know, you lived with your parents. And you were, or no, I was single. I was single. You were single. Yeah. You, were with, yeah. you would cook with your dad a lot. I did. I, yeah, whenever I was like at home with my parents, that was all we did, basically. I was obsessed and yeah. I still am. <laughs> and the food looked, you know, incredible. And I wanted to come over. But because I reconnected with you now with your, you know, Brooklyn Deli story. I know the hard work you've put in, into your brand, into your company, into cooking, your art, your craft. And so I wanted to have you on to share your story. So if you want to, you know, dive right in, you know, like, how did you come to America? Where did you grow up? How did you get into food? Like, let's get into it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm a Jersey girl. I was born in Jersey um, and uh, in a town actually that was, um, you know, was predominantly white. So I was one of the only South Asians in my class at the time, um, which was, which is always interesting. Um, And I ended up just, I went to, I I ended up going to college on the West coast in California. Um, And after college, I was kind of just working jobs in advertising and uh, marketing, Uh, came back to the East coast and um, went to business school. Then um, 
continue to work in marketing. And I think for me, um, growing up, my parents, my dad is from North India, my mom is from South India. And I was really lucky because they both love to cook. And so that was kind of um, a very central focus in our household growing up. And I think it stayed with me um, when I moved away. So um, I started to collect a lot of the recipes that I grew up eating um, when I had moved away from um, home. And I felt like at one point there were just like everywhere. I had recipes that were just like scribbled down on notebooks. I had them like in emails. I had them everywhere. And I think that was kind of, um, you know, the motivation for me to start a blog uh, because I just wanted to organize all that information. And um, at first it was really just about documenting my family's recipes. And I think maybe my mother just read this blog and, um, <laughs> you know, it and was me. just, <laughs> yes, and you. <laughs> I, I remember like watching your like, you know, little photos and, you know, your recipes. And I mean, the food you make, you know, I would drool like I wanted to come to Brooklyn and eat your food. And, and I thought love you were it. South Indian, but I knew your name wasn't South Indian. But I love that your food is a right. mix of, you know, all of India. Yeah. So that was the other piece of it, too, is that the blog was called the ABCDs of cooking. And, you know, that term, especially for anybody like us who um, is of South Asian descent was always kind of a derogatory term where it's kind of like, oh, you're acting like such an ABCD. And (laughs) so I wanted to kind of... People who may not know, people who may not know, ABCD in Indian culture is American born, confused, desi. And desi is a word for like, you know, villager, like Indian villager, right? Like, and it's meant to, you know, say you're confused, like you don't know if you're Indian or you're American. Right. And, and I just felt that um, at the time, I was just kind of like, you know, I feel like there is value in this perspective. I mean, I don't think when I was growing up, I felt completely American or Indian. It's and I like to say that um, I really felt and started to feel at home kind of in the hyphen, in this hyphenated identity. And I think that the ABCDs of a cooking was a way for me to explore that identity through food. So what ended up happening is that I started out with these recipes that were very traditional to my family, but then they started to become something else. And I started to use a lot of the farm um, produce I was getting in my CSA or my farm share every week, or I started to kind of just like roll in different um, influences from other cuisines that um, I was experiencing in the city. And I think that at first, I mean, when you're blogging, it's kind of like you, you're really, it's almost like a diary in a sense. But what ended up happening is I started to connect with community in Brooklyn. So I had people that were reaching out to me saying, could you come over and do a cooking class? And I was like, Hmm, okay. So then I just tried these things. I, I connected with other bloggers and we started to collaborate. So I started an Indian Mexican supper club. I was selling food at like markets in, I remember a basement in a church <laughs> in Brooklyn. I was doing like all these different things, working with um, farmers, they were growing produce. And then I was putting them into like menus that I was creating for pop-up dinners, um, like working with a brewery and we made beer with curry leaves that went with one of the dinners that we did. So it was kind of like, you know, it just opened me up basically to understanding um, just, you know, what the possibility was in working in food. And, but at the same time I had my day job. So I was working in marketing, maybe blogging at work sometimes. Um, But, you know, I was just consumed by this, this new kind of world. And I felt like it was very much different from what was going on in the restaurant scene per se at the time. And this was, I started the blog in 2009. Um, 
I think that there was just this very exciting kind of community of home cooks. Um, so it, it people were just creating. They were just making whatever, putting it out there. And it was really like this DIY community and very supportive. There'd be like cook-offs. There'd be, you know, potlucks. And you just kind of like become part of this community. And now, I mean, a lot of the people that I met then, some of them have also started, you know, CPG companies or their cookbook authors or... but. I mean, they're like my best friends. I go to their weddings. Like I go, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, and at the time, you know, I, I felt like I could really explore though, because I had the safety net of my full-time job. So, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff where it was just like a friend was like, I have a shipping container. Can you come and do a cooking class? It's not like I'm making a lot of money from doing stuff like that. She's like, if you have a long extension cord, just come and cook and and show people how to make some dishes. That's (laughs) when the magic happens happens right when you have nothing to lose right exactly doing it because it's fun you're not you right don't have like the intention of oh I'm going to start a business and make tons of money this is no. where the magic happens you're just doing it organically because you love it Right, exactly. And it was just kind of like, you know, following this passion and feeling the freedom to try different things. And it, it, it was really a magical time. And I feel like that is really, I mean, it brought me to what became Brooklyn Deli, as well as writing a cookbook also. And I think that, you know, a lot of people don't know what, like, how did Brooklyn Deli even come to be? Because it is a big step to take from you know, blogging and doing um, events and prepared foods and markets to actually selling a CPG um, product. And for me, it was that um, I got lucky because my boyfriend at the time is actually a food packaging designer. And, um, you know, at the time, I didn't really think about selling a packaged food per se. I actually had this idea to do a South Asian kind of cultural center. And I thought this would be, you know, it would be an opportunity to kind of like bring the South Asian community together. Maybe we do pop-ups. Maybe it's a space where we sell different South Asian, like, you know, products or clothing and things like that. And there was this, um, like, competition. It was put on by the Brooklyn Library called the Power Up Competition. And um, I looked at that and it was like $10,000. And I was like, okay, let's, I'm going to try and do this, you know? Um, And at the time I couldn't make that first meeting. So I asked Ben, who's my boyfriend at the time to go. And so he went to the first meeting and he came back and he was like, he's like, now I have to be the point person on this project. They said, whoever came to that first meeting has to be the point person and do a lot of the legwork and go to all those meetings. And he was like, if that's the case, then why don't we work on something together? And I was like, okay, tell me more. What are you thinking? And he was like, well, you know, those are chars that you make and you, and you serve at your cooking um, classes and your pop-up dinners. And he's like, everybody loves them. He's like, what about if we put those out and he's like, I'll do all the branding, I'll design it with you. And we just give it a shot. And I was like, Hmm, this seems like a lot more solid than that other idea that I was having that was kind of just like, you know, a little bit foggy. Um, And so we went and we did this business plan because you had to jump through all these hoops for this business plan competition. They're kind of teaching you how to do it as you went along. And And so they're giving you 10 grand on they yeah, want to plan. Yeah. Right, right. They're like, this needs to be legit. Okay. So then. <laughs> well, I also want to know if you can explain to many of the listeners what is a char? Because I think it's a very critical part of our cuisine, South Asian right. cuisine. And yes. we, we say a char, but it, it's an integral part of everyday life in a South Asian household. What is a char? So it, a char literally means pickled or preserved. But it is basically a staple South Asian condiment. It is in every South Asian fridge. It's at every meal. But I feel like 
chutney overshadows it, right? I mean, yes. people don't know. And also there's different names uh, char goes by. So sometimes you may, it may be called Indian pickle. Um, where my mom is from in South India, in Canada, it's called open kai. Um, my dad is North Indian, so he speaks Hindi. So we call it a char with his family. And regionally, I mean, it's made everywhere in India. It's made seasonally. So it depends on what's growing, um, what even different oils are used, different spices, um, so that's why I love it. It's just, I mean, it, it, it really, um, I mean, it's pickling basically what people think of here. Um, but it's a lot different from a dill pickle. And that's why we, I wanted to put out a char and not pickle because I wanted people to also know the word for, you know, what this condiment is. Um, because I think I come from it from like a teaching point of view as well. Um, and also I didn't want it to be confused with a dill pickle because it's used in such a different way. It's more kind of like this, just a little bit is added to add this like savory and spicy kind of burst to your food rather than like, you know, this pickle that you're just chomping on, you know, on the side. (laughs) Pickle in, you know, Western, you know, living or in the Western world is a dill pickle. In South Asian culture, it's like you said, preserved, pickled vegetables, fruit. It could be anything mixed with spices. And in Hindi, it's called achar. I mean, you go to an Indian grocery store, the achar section is like the cereal section in America. It's huge. So it's a big deal. So now you write this business plan. Yes, I wrote the business plan. We submitted it and then we lost. Oh, I thought, you were I thought this was going to be like, we won. No, we, we didn't win. And I was like, God, I'm like, we did all this work. Like we literally, we designed the packaging, everything. And he was, we were both just like, fuck it, let's just do it. You know, and I had just gotten the cookbook deal. So I was like, okay, have some money coming in from this advance. Um, And I, I was just like, you know, let's follow this thing. Because I, at that point, there was no denying it. This is what I wanted to do. And so just kind of leaped off and started making the achar by hand, literally in a soup kitchen in Bed-Stuy in, in Brooklyn, and selling it at markets all over the city. And I mean, <laughs> those were the hardest years of my life. It, it was really... No, I, I had jumped off and I was doing part-time work. So I, it was definitely like Brooklyn Deli did not become profitable for about four years. I wasn't able to pay myself until then. So what I was doing is I was using kind of like the money from my advance. And then I was also doing some freelance marketing um, on the side. So that was the way that I was sustaining myself. But I like to tell people, I mean, like during that time, I, I did not buy a shred of clothing for like four years. I ate beans, doll, like, you know, because I was so focused and I was happy doing what I was doing. It was almost like I felt like I was a different person in a sense, you know, like when you work your job and you're just kind of like looking forward to that paycheck and going shopping or going out and things like that. Like that stuff didn't drive me as much. Um, but this was my focus. I understand. I, I lived with my parents for five years, you know, pursuing you know, a clothing business and pursuing a career in entertainment. It's, we've chosen unconventional paths. And that's why those things take a little longer sometimes, you know, and so I completely can relate to how you were feeling, but you have to just keep going, which is what you did and rinse and repeat. I do want to know for the listeners, how did you get your book advanced? You know, like, how did that happen? We need deets, hon. Right, right. So that came about in a roundabout way. So I was actually, um, uh, I guess, like contacted from a publisher that was in Canada, and it was an imprint of Penguin Random House. And they were interested, um, because they had been seeing kind of what I was doing on like Instagram, and, you know, on my blog and everything. And so so they started talking to me. Um, and then at the same time, I um, then had talked to friends and said, you know, this publisher had reached out, and some of them that had been published were like, well, you should probably get an agent just to start you know um and so i 
ended up getting an agent. And um, I, at that point, I didn't really have a focus as to like, what am I going to write this book about? So I kind of tabled it at that point. And that was maybe like a couple years into doing the blog. And then I started doing a lot of South Asian um, or South Indian cooking classes and these pop-up dinners and feeling like that was kind of in an area that I felt like a lot of people didn't really know about um, that type of cooking. And I felt like it was really kind of conducive to also what I was doing with the farmers and local produce, because it's so light and fresh. And there's like, you know, so many like very fresh, like stir fries and, and, and salads and ripas. And I felt like that could be a, a cool, maybe that's, this could be a cool direction. And I ended up just writing that proposal just after having that thought. Um, and I think the proposal was like 80 pages or something. I basically kind of like written the book and then the agent went around and sold, um, you know, went around to selling the book to different um, publishers. And I mean, that process was a little bit um, nerve wracking. And, you know, it, it, it was that a lot of some of the publishers would be like, well, we already have an Indian cookbook coming out, you know, yeah, and so they're going to one. Right. I'm like, well, this is like a South Indian cookbook. And I'm sure we are, you know, <laughs> like, that's different. It's different yes. than, you know, there's so many regional styles of cooking from India. And um, so that part was like a little disheartening for me. Um, but then finally, um, there were two um, publishers that uh, wanted to do it. And so I went with one of them. And, um, you know, I, I it was it was definitely um a long process to getting to, um, to the deal. But I'd say that all the work that I did before really set the groundwork for what the book became. Amazing. I mean, I'm, I can't imagine, you know, you're now relying also on this book deal to fund your life. Right, right. I mean, yeah, partially. That's why the marketing piece definitely like having that background was super helpful. Um, so yeah. you were able to essentially sell yourself, right? Like promote yourself. And now you've decided to work part-time and go full throttle with your business. Right. So now right. where, what year are we in now? So the book I started in writing in 2014, and that's when we launched Brooklyn Deli as well. Okay. And then I wrote the book over three years because it took me a long time because I was doing the business and I was still working. And so um, 2017 was when the book came out. Um, and uh, prior to that, you know, I was working Brooklyn Deli, just like, you know, really everything was organic. So it was like going to the markets, then somebody would taste the product and a food critic would write about it. A specialty store would reach out to us. We would start selling to different specialty stores. I would be demoing different places. And so it was very much kind of like, you know, it was just me making it and then just designing the labels. And, and you were like buying your own, you know, packaging products from online or wherever and making this, I'm assuming in a commercial kitchen, the soup yeah. kitchen in bedside. Right. And like carrying, hand delivering stuff. I mean, it was a lot of manual labor in the beginning, for sure. And, but you know, that was the other piece is that just kind of having a community in Brooklyn at the time in food, that was really, um, those are the people I relied on to understand, you know, where do I source um, this glass? Where do I source, you know, this ingredient? So I would just go to friends and everybody was so supportive. Um, and, and that is really what got me, um, you know, going with everything with Brooklyn Deli. It's like you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get a product that is, you know, able to be on a store shelf. Um, and so it without that community, I, I feel like it would have it would have been difficult. Yeah, that because that you can't just make it and sell it right. Like there's FDA, there's, you know, labeling, there's a whole right. list of things you need to get done when you're selling food. And now, how did you grow this business? Like, was it you know, getting investors? Did you scale? Like, what was it? Like, how did you get to the Brooklyn Deli, you know, where you're talking to Trader Joe's now? 
Right. So I think that what we realized was uh, with Achar was really hard because in Western markets, there was nobody selling Achar. So there was no market. So we were building that market. But when you have um, you know, you don't have the means to have a big marketing campaign or PR or demo at all these stores. Um, it was really difficult. And so sometimes we were finding we would sell it to some of these um, specialty stores and the product wouldn't sell because, you know, what I was realizing is that, you know, a mindset of a consumer at the pop-up dinners, um, people that are buying cookbooks, you're in a different mindset. You're looking to discover something. But when you're a person that's going into a grocery store, like it's very much tunnel vision. You're kind of, you know what you want to buy. And so people would look at a chart and be like, I don't know what that is. And I don't think I need it, you know? So, and, and that would be that basically. So we realized that we needed to figure out a way to get more people to sample the product. Cause every time I sampled it, it would sell off the shelf, but it couldn't be everywhere. So um, it was really lucky, but I used to teach cooking classes at Brooklyn kitchen. And there was a person that I worked with on those classes who had become a culinary director at, um, at blue apron. And she was interested in, in, in the HR because she knew them and she felt like that could be really something that a Blue Apron customer would be, you know, really delighted by. And that was another, you know, environment where people want to discover new things, new flavors. So what ended up happening is we were packing, we ended up packing our tomato achar in these 1.5 ounce cups and putting them in meal kits. And they've gone out to millions of homes. And that was a way for us to sustainably sample the product, um, educate people on what achar is, how does it taste? How do you use it? And then when we're selling in retail, people are like, they like it. And they're like, where can I get it? And then they go to Whole Foods to buy it. But, you know, the whole, I'd say the grocery business and selling to grocery is a whole other beast in itself, you know, because we ended up um, selling to a lot of the buyers by going to trade shows. And I would get... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Subsidized booths from the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. And that was basically how we would get in front of some of these retailers that were national and how we um, forge a relationship with Whole Foods um, as well. So because that story was, you know, a whole other thing where we started selling to um, Whole Foods on a local level. So we were maybe in like five or so stores and we were a featured local vendor. But the buyer who was kind of like the national buyer got wind of the HR and she really, really loved them um, and wanted to take them nationally. Um, and at the time that really scared me because again, I didn't have the funding and uh, to do the demoing and the blue apron deal had not really come through at that point. So what, what we ended up doing was pitching her another product. And before we went to this show, Ben and I, one thing that we liked to do was we would mix the tomato achar with ketchup and we'd eat it with eggs. And I was like, we should try and pitch this product at the, at the show. So like the week before Ben just literally like drew like this, this product up and we are, we knew that it was good. Um, and then we had a few different options. So we went, when we went to the show and she said, Oh, I want to take the HRs nationally. Um, and I was like, uh, I, we don't have the funding to, you know, demo it, but 
we have some of these other ideas for you. And so we were flipping through all these ideas and she was like, huh, that one looks interesting. And it was the curry ketchup. And the curry ketchup was this kind of, you know, very much infused tomato achar flavor, but in a ketchup form. And she was like, I want to try that. And I was like, okay. Cause we were at a trade show in Northern California at the time. And I was like, okay, she's like, can you, I'm going back to Austin, just like send me a sample. And Ben and I are like, oh my God. Okay. We now have to make a sample. So we went back to our Airbnb. We made ketchup. We like, <laughs> we mix it with our tomato char. We had three different versions. I remember my brother was there and my parents, and we all were doing the tasting on which one are we going to send? So we decided on one, we sent it off and we get a call the next day. And she's like, I love this. Everybody loves it in the office. We want to take this national. Can you also develop a curry mustard? And I was like, yes, oh, I can OMG. develop. A curry. <laughs> As you're talking, I'm salivating because I'm like imagining the curry ketchup with the egg and you know I want some right now but that is an incredible story and that's that's you know when you know how to cook right you know flavor you know how to whip something up and so I think it's hilarious also that your whole family was there and you know it worked out Right. Yeah. And, you know, from there, then what happened is that she asked me to develop a line of simmer sauces. So that's where all these, the plant-based simmer sauces came. And then on the other side, Blue Apron then came to me and they were like, can you develop a korma? Can you develop a mango chutney? And then they became retail products. So things started to kind of happen because we made these relationships with, um, you know, with Blue Apron and Whole Foods that they really wanted to collaborate with us and work with us and they believed in what we were doing um, at Brooklyn Deli. Um, so the relationships have just grown and our products have kind of grown um, based on that and also based on what we make at home too, you know. So now what year was the Whole Foods success story? So we launched in Whole Foods in 2000, I believe it was 2018. So you um, started yeah. 20, 2009. You started and now we're in 2018 and you're finally like, you know, making progress right right, financially because we can keep going, right? Like that's what I, you know, I'm in right now. Like you can keep going, but you need to be profitable at some point. Right. And that was actually the breaking point. So because we started Brooklyn Deli. So the blog was 2009 and Brooklyn Deli was 2014. And we were going to this trade show in 2017. I just remember having a sit down conversation with Ben and we were like, we need to make this work. It was not working. We were just like, it's not sustainable. And the Whole Foods deal with the curry ketchup and the curry mustard and the Blue Apron deal, it saved us. We would not have been around anymore if we had not gotten those two opportunities, basically. And and that was when I had my first kid. 2017, I had my first kid. I was like, I need to make this happen. Yeah. No, you you know, you can keep going and you can make some money, right? Selling in markets, but to be able to have a life outside of right. the business, you need to grow and you need to sell a lot of curry ketchup. Yes, yes, definitely. It's a numbers game. (laughs) So now we're in 2018. Things are going well. Then what? So yeah, 2018, that was basically, uh, we, we, at that point, we knew that in order to kind of grow further, we needed to develop more products. So that's when we started to develop this um, simmer sauce line with um, Whole Foods. And specifically, I wanted to do a plant-based simmer sauce line. So we would take, you know, a tikka masala, but I was going to make it vegan. And at the time, I mean, like, that was the, there wasn't a vegan one on the shelf. So that was kind of like the innovation. And um, I also developed um, a golden coconut curry, which is actually based on a recipe I had on my blog, which was because I'm vegetarian. So I don't, I can't eat a lot of Thai coconut curries that have fish sauce in them. So I basically had made this coconut curry based on that. And also I had just gone to Goa and my family is from Karnataka. So we didn't have 
you know, we didn't have coconut curries like that. And so I just kind of blend the two together. And I literally use notes from that recipe to develop the the golden coconut curry that we have on the shelf. And and then from there, we did a korma and I I just launched a cashew butter masala. Um, But yeah, it was like, (laughs) a lot of it is just coming from our home kitchen first, and then it gets on the shelf. I love that. And I, I, I'm literally drooling because, you know, I, I, I know these flavors because I have tried your product and it's incredible. And as someone who doesn't prefer, you know, dairy for the most part, I like to say I'm vegan, but then of course, you know, things happen here and there, but I prefer, you know, to avoid dairy. So when you're talking about all these sauces, you know, in South Asian cuisine, 90% of them have some sort of cream or, you know, some sort of butter element. And so I think you're doing the Lord's work here for, you know, our culture and for consumers. So what happens now with Trader Joe's? How did we get into this debacle? Right. So a buyer from Trader Joe's um, had reached out and basically said that she felt like um, we had some interesting products and she wanted to learn more. So we got into kind of just a discussion on uh, the different products that we're selling and um, what you know, she wanted to look at some pricing. So, you know, or I had sent her a range basically. And then she came back and she was like interested in two of the products actually. And it was the curry ketchup and the, um, the korma. And so we kind of went back and forth about it. And then all of a sudden, like things came to a standstill and I was just like, I, I reached out and I was just like, Oh, um, you know, just following up, like what's going on. She was like, she's like, everybody love these flavors. Um, but Right now, we are concentrating on another Indian product that we're going to be bringing to market. So I'm going to circle back with you on on your products um, at another time. And you know, as I've I have gotten no's before, you know, like that's the <laughs> that's basically the game we're in. And so it's just like fine. I didn't really think much of it. I was just like it didn't work out. Just move on. But then I started getting, and I'd say like months later, I started getting these DMs from um, customers and just people reaching out saying like, oh my God, like I saw your achar at Trader Joe's. And I was just like, what are you talking about? And then they showed me the bottle and it was like garlic achar. And then on the back and the ingredients, it was like roasted garlic, but it was like watered down and had like citric acid in it and like all this stuff. And it was like $2 or something. And I was just like livid basically. Um, and you know, I don't have a problem. Like for instance, if they had put a curry ketchup on the shelf, I could care less we are there. There's so many people that make a curry ketchup. It's like a German product, you know? So it's like, it's fine. But like, I came up with like a roasted garlic achar in India. You know, when I grew up, I had a a very crunchy garlic achar. It was pickled, but my contribution to, you know, this recipe was that I roasted the garlic. I grew up in Jersey. I love roasted garlic. I love that sweetness and, and that flavor. And I thought that meshing those, you know, achar spices with roasted garlic would be amazing. And so that's where the roasted garlic achar came to be. And this product was basically, you know, a cheap knockoff of this, this product that I had worked so, so many years to just kind of educate people on, on the Western market. And I think a lot of times you'll see in in the Indian store, it's like Indian pickle. Um, But we decided to say A-C-H-A-A-R because it's phonetic. It's more phonetic than A-C-H-A-R even. So just like seeing that, I felt like, okay, we'd already had those conversations. There's roasted garlic in this ingredient deck. um, And you don't usually see that. It's obviously that. And I I wasn't going to say anything, but it was just that too many people thought that we had packed it and it didn't, didn't taste good. And so I was like, I didn't want people to think that that's what an achar tastes like too, because if they tasted it and didn't like it, then they would think that every achar tastes like that. Well, when did you talk to the Trader Joe's buyer and when did you start getting the DMs about the product on the market at Trader Joe's? 
we had probably been talking for um, months. Um, I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but maybe it was like a span of six months of like emailing and things like that. And then kind of like maybe a few months went by. And then all of a sudden I started getting, you know, these kind of DMs. So it was maybe over the span of a year, you know. So was it this year? It was la- I believe it was last year actually. Yeah, no. I'm like everything so, so is kind 2021, of 2021, you know, this is all happening. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, I heard of the case and you know, all of this on TikTok this year. Right, because what ended up happening is that um Pragadish, who's on TikTok, he made a, a TikTok about it. And that first, first I had written about it in, in our newsletter to Brooklyn Daily because I wasn't really going public about it. I just wanted to tell our customers that I did not pack it. So that's why I just put it on my Instagram and I put it um, in a newsletter. But what happened is that there were these New York Magazine reporters that get my newsletter and they love the product and they were like, we want to write about this. And like at first I was like, no, cause I was just like, what is this going to do my business? You know, I mean, is this going to be bad? Um, it's scary dealing with like a behemoth, like Trader Joe's, you know, you're, you know, just getting your business, you know, profitable. You just started, you have a family, you have children. You don't want to go against Trader Joe's. I get it. And most people would not, but you had, you know, I think the conviction and you cared that people were getting a bad product that, you know, you're being very modest, Chitra, because you're an angel. I thought it was your product. I went to Trader Joe's and I saw garlic achar and I thought this was Brooklyn Deli because it's an exact knockoff, even the packaging, even the font. I mean, let's keep it real. Right. I know. I I mean, yeah, (laughs) It, it was just like, I just felt helpless, basically. You know what I mean? And um, and, and, and so they, they ended up writing the article. Cause I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to say it. So people don't think it's us and I'm going to stick up for myself. You know, I feel like, and, and so many people are like, oh, does that mean that Trader Joe's like can't put out on a char? No, I mean, it's totally fine, but it was like the way that they packaged it, the way they spelled, I mean, like it was so like, it was, <laughs> it was just a rip it was a knockoff of something you've worked on for over a decade. Right, right. And That's it's we're it still educating people on it too, you know what I mean? Um, but that was kind of a disservice because it didn't taste like it. They said it was a char sauce. I mean, like, it, it's just... Yeah, that doesn't uh, exist. <laughs> so now we all saw the TikTok, but you've now right. been dealing with this for a year almost, since last year. And you've been trying to do whatever you can in your little bubble, not trying to make it a thing because that's what women do. (laughs) Right. And so the last I heard, it's no longer at Trader Joe's. How did we get there? So I think that there was enough people that were hearing about the story after Pragadish had had done his TikTok and then NBC News picked it up after they saw that TikTok. And I think after that, it really kind of got a lot of people's attention. And um, I mean, I think that it, it, who knows? I think it may have swayed them, but we never, we'll never know the real story. You know what I mean? But um, I do feel good about speaking up because a lot of other, um, you know, makers came out to me saying that a similar thing had happened to them. And so it, it was just, I felt like, okay, I'm educating at least other, um, you know, other people that make, uh, have a small food business um, in, in, you know, in the case that maybe they get reached out to by a buyer and just what to look out for and, you know, to protect themselves. Absolutely. And, you know, for any creator, for anyone in a creative space, in art, in entertainment, in cooking, you know, I think it's all under the creative umbrella you really need to protect yourself when you send these emails out and, you know, when you talk to buyers, because it happens more than you know, and not everyone gets the outcome you did. 
Right. And I mean, and at the end of the day, what my wish would have been is that it's fine if there is a, um, you know, a private label version, but why not put the branded version next to it? Trader Joe's does um, support some brands and puts branded products on the shelf. But I've yet to see that for, you know, like ethnic products in a way. I feel like they kind of keep those private label and cheap. Yes, I agree with you. And now what's next for Brooklyn Deli? Where can people find Brooklyn Deli products? You know, what's on the agenda for you? You've got a family. Yeah, so many nice things happening. Yeah, I mean, I'm always thinking of what to kind of develop and put out next. I think that's also maybe to my own detriment, but I'm always kind of trying to figure out, you know, what I'm making at home. Like, could this be a product maybe? Um, But then I also, I think part of what I kind of realized in like the last few years too, is that, you know, you start a business, you get in because you're passionate about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're in spreadsheets all day. And I needed to get myself out of that. And the way I did it was that I went back to recipe development. And so I've been doing a lot of work just on developing recipes using our products. And I feel like it also helps to educate people more so on how to use them too. So it kind of has always gone back to a char in a sense where I'm trying to make all these recipe videos and this content around how to use it. Um, and, and so that's bring has brought me great joy. And I feel like has also sparked all of these different ideas, um, for, for new products too. So just keep, I'm just keeping on going and I just want to keep creating and, you know, keep that spark alive of why I got into this business in the first place too. And now did you ever get funding? Is your do you have investors or is everything bootstrapped? Meaning like it's you and Ben. Yeah, everything is bootstrapped. Everything is run off of cash flow for us. And I mean, it takes a lot more time because we we definitely carefully plan how our production runs go and time it with payments and, and things like that. And I mean, I think I made a decision at one point, especially because I had worked in corporate for you know over a decade that when I was going to start my own business, I wanted to own that vision all the way through. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's totally valid to go the investor route, but personally for me, I feel like Brooklyn Deli and my identity is so tied up that I really want to be able to, and maybe I'm a control freak. I want to control what these products taste like, what products I put out, how I market them. I mean, if I had an investor, I probably wouldn't be able to devote as much time as I do to the actual development and, and like, you know, the cooking piece of it in a sense. Right. Um, and, and also, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, an investor is looking for a return. Right. And also they're looking to protect their own interests. And sometimes I think those interests do not align with the founder's interests. And so to protect my own interests at this point, at least, um, you know, I'm, we, we are, we are bootstrapping and not to say, I mean, it took a long time to get here and a lot of struggle to get here and yeah, piecing it together with other jobs and things like that. And sometimes I feel like, like it's, it's very haphazard, especially with kids running around and, I'm just like, I sometimes feel like it's like a clown car that's going up a very steep hill. But like, you know, at the end of the day, the car is all mine, whatever it is, you know, (laughs) I I can understand. I, you know, never wanted an investor or a partner. And, you know, sometimes there is a cost with not having that as well, right? You do everything yourself. And, you know, in my case, you know, I decided eventually if, if it's not going to scale, then I'm just going to do it for fun, right? Because I'd rather just right. do it my way in a small way than be huge and make tons of money and then have to listen to someone and have you know other people's expectations. And then it becomes a job. Exactly. And, you, and you've given yourself a boss, basically. Yeah. Um, and the other piece is that I can't even believe that I'm actually able to do this for a living. I can pay my own salary. I mean, that is 
I mean, that was the goal. If there's anything on top of that, it's a bonus for me because I mean, I love what I do. (laughs) And you can tell and you can taste it in your product as well. Do we get any sneak peeks of anything, maybe one new product that maybe no one might know about or anything special? Any hints? Uh, I actually do have a new product that's coming out and I will give you a sneak peek because I actually have it on my desk because I was just looking at it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to be launching a spicy mango chutney. And this spicy mango chutney is very special because it uses a um, single origin Kashmiri chili um, that is grown on a family farm um, sourced from burlap and barrel. And the funny thing that I didn't I didn't know is that a lot of Kashmiri chili that you find in the supermarket and the stores is not grown in Kashmir. So this is very special and um, I'm excited to launch it next month. (laughs) I can't wait. I want to grab it from the screen if I could, (laughs) because I could just imagine what it tastes like. And, you know, I think as a fellow South Asian, as a fellow female minority business owner, I am proud of you. I think we're all proud of you, all the listeners and everyone who sees your work. I think, you know, I was talking to my fiance about you. This is just the beginning for you. You're going to do big Oh, thank you. (laughs) I really appreciate it. (laughs) And um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And if you want to tell people, you know, where we can find your products, where we can find you, and, you know, your recipes, yeah, um, there's a lot. Yeah, um, I guess. So you can find Brooklyn Deli, um, you know, on brooklyndeli.com as well as Whole Foods. And we have a store locator too to, to show you which store is close to you. Um, and then, and on Amazon. And then um, we're just at Brooklyn Deli on all the, the social um, TikTok and Instagram. Um, and then I'm just at Chetra. Um, at, on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and, you know, best wishes for your incredible business. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Bye, Chitra. Bye. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you so much for sipping the chai with me this week. If you like the show, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also find me on Instagram at Anish Ramakrishna. I would love to hear from you. Join me next week for more chai. Thank you so much for sipping the chai with me this week. If you like the show, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also find me on Instagram at Anish Ramakrishna. I would love to hear from you. Join me next week for more chats.